So today, we are in chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. So if you're just tuning in, that's okay. I want to catch you up a little bit this morning before we read our scripture for the day. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, uh, is a book written to a church where some are being tempted due to intensifying cultural, economic, and political pressures to run away from Jesus and return to the old covenant system of sacrificing animals. You know, the situation there was really not much different than it is today for Christians who are beginning to feel uh, economically and politically and culturally marginalized. You might say that the Hebrews were a little bit tired of being the punchline of every joke. They were tired of being the outcast. And they figured, maybe we can just leave Jesus and go back to the Old Testament. But Hebrews is showing us that it would be foolish to back away from faith in Jesus because He's the only Savior who truly saves. Jesus is better, which is the title of our series, He's better than all other saviors. He's better than the angels through whom God gave the law to Moses. He's better than Moses himself, because while Moses was a servant in the house, Jesus is the builder of the house. Jesus is better. He's better than Joshua, the great warrior who led God's people into the land of promise because Jesus leads us not just into geographical territory, He leads us into true and complete and eternal rest. In Christ, we have rest from striving and working and trying to earn our way to God, which we could not do. And instead, Jesus is God who came down so that we could have God with us. Jesus is better. And from chapter 4, through chapter 10, verse 18, we see that Jesus is better than the entire priesthood of the Old Testament. He's better than the entire sacrificial system of animals. You could add up all the animals sacrificed. You could take all the priests who ever ministered in the tabernacle or in the temple, and Jesus is better. He's better because the repeated sacrifices of animals could not take away sin, but the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus does. The priests could never stop standing and preparing and serving and offering sacrifices, but Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice ends the demands for our death of the Old Covenant because He died to pay the price of death once for all. And it isn't just that He died for us and forgave us through His death. It's that our lives can now be transformed through His resurrection by the same power with which God raised Him up from the dead and then seated Him in the heavenlies. By that same power, God raises us up to a new way of seeing and a new way of living and a new way of walking in this world. And we can do that because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father where He is our King whom we follow and our High Priest who still now pleads even today for us. Hebrews 7.25 Jesus is so much better. And what we've been learning all the way from Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 to chapter 10 verse 18 is that the better superior sacrifice and lordship and salvation that we have through Jesus because this is true there's something that the author of Hebrews wants us to do no matter how difficult or challenging our circumstances may be. So verse 19 begins with that key word therefore Therefore, and we're going to get a, a new section of Scripture that takes us all the way 
through chapter 12, that because of what we have through Jesus, we should now therefore run the race. We should walk out and live out our faith in Christ. Would you hear with me the Word of God? Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now those last few verses, verses 23-25, through we'll not cover today, but I wanted to read the entire paragraph. What I want you to see today, I, I, I love this text so much. It's been such an encouragement to me in my walk with Christ that initially I was going to preach it uh, all the way through verse 25 as one message, and I realized by the middle of the week that there was just too much in my heart to share with you, and so I cut it off at verse 22. And I want you to see one point today, and it's this. Because Jesus gives us confident access to the presence of God, we must draw near to God with that same confidence in the finished work of Christ. First, because Jesus gives us confident access to the presence of God. This has been the thesis of everything we've read from chapter 4 to chapter 10. We have access to the very presence of God our Father through the blood of Jesus. The confidence that we have in drawing near to God comes through the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus and His ongoing ministry as our high priest. He is the mediator for us in the heavenlies. And look at verse 19. It tells us that brothers or brethren, or that is brothers and sisters in Christ, that genuine Christians have confidence and not just occasional confidence. The word is in the present tense. They keep on having confidence or boldness to enter the holy place where God dwells. This word boldness means frankness. It means openness. It was used of political speech. It was used of discourse. We don't have to hide how we're feeling when we come to God. We don't have to pretend that we're someone that we're not when we come to God. We don't have to put on a mask in order to come to God because Jesus represents us in the heavens on the basis of what He's already accomplished for us on Calvary. We can be who we are as we approach Christ, trusting that His blood washes us clean. We have bold access to God our Father through the blood of Jesus. Our access doesn't come by the sweat of our brow, it does not come by the blood of animals, it does not become, it does not come in any other way than by the blood of Jesus. Our access is secured by Jesus' blood payment for us. The promise of the gospel is that the price for our sin has been paid in full, and because the price has been paid in full, 
we do not have timid access, but bold, unfettered access to the presence of God. You know, many people today, particularly in so-called churches in the United States, they want to throw away the need for the blood of Jesus. They want to throw away that Jesus came to satisfy God's righteous and holy anger against our sin. Sinners often do not want to hear of an angry God, a God who has wrath against their sin. But we do not have the good news unless we first acknowledge the bad news, that our sin separates us from a holy God, and that He is right to be angry with sin and sinners because our sin is as bad as God said says that it is. The reason many people today lack fellowship with God is because fellowship with God is on the other side of recognizing we deserve the full fury of God's wrath. And only the blood of Jesus in our place can rescue us from what we deserve. Many people today claim to know Christ, but deny the reason that He has come. If you deny the need for the blood of Jesus in your place, then you deny the gospel as the basis of your fellowship with God, and therefore you don't have fellowship at all. You see, church, it it isn't the size of your smile. It isn't the amount of your service that qualifies you to be accepted in the presence of God. You can do good deeds. You can make good sacrifices. You can do many good things to try to cleanse your conscience. But if you do these things to qualify yourself and deny your need for Jesus in your place, then you still bear the weight of your sin. You still have an unclean conscience. And you do not have what every heart so desperately needs, which is bold access, fellowship, with God the Father through Christ the Son who bled for you. But praise God, church, by the blood of Jesus, verse 19. By the blood of Jesus. If you write in your Bibles, I would encourage you to underline those words. We have bold, confident, unfettered access to the Father in one way. By the blood of Jesus. He takes us into the holy place. This is not some room in a tabernacle. It's not some room in a temple. It is the heavenly sanctuary. It is the place from which God rules and reigns in righteousness over all things. We get to be where God is through the blood of Jesus. This is the point of verse 20. The death of Jesus for our sin and His resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father ends the system of extremely limited and fearful access to the presence of God. You recall the one high priest who got to go in on the Day of Atonement and they would tie a rope around his ankle in case God was not pleased with the offering, in case He was not pleased with His people or the sacrifice so that they could pull the high priest from out of the Holy of Holies if he died there. Jesus comes and He ends the fearful and limited access of the Old Covenant to God, and instead He replaces it with bold and confident access into the presence of God. It's it's really difficult to overstate the turn of events that has come through the blood of Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. This is why verse 20 speaks of the new and the living way. 
Jesus gives us ongoing and confident access into the presence of God. No more ceremonial washings. No more restriction to the presence of God, to the Levites. No more bowls of incense. No more round-the-clock sacrificing. No, we simply run in faith to Jesus in complete dependence upon His blood shed for us. And we find that God is there. He's ready to hear us. He's ready to heal us. When Christ was crucified and He gave up His life, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. It was a work of God. And it was torn when Christ was on the cross and He yielded up His life. And it represented the end of limited access to God's presence for God's people. You say, you mean it's, it's for anybody? It's for anybody who will turn from their sin and trust in Him. Access to God is still limited. It's limited in this way. It's only available through the blood of Christ. But if you will turn from your sin and trust in Him and want to commune with God through what Jesus has done for you, then access to God is available anytime, anywhere, any place, any situation, any reason whatsoever. And we know that we have access to God through Jesus because He did not remain in the grave. As we see in verse 21, Jesus was raised and ascended and seated, look at this, as our great high priest over the house of God. What's the house of God? The house of God is not this sanctuary building. The house of God is the people of God. You'll remember back in chapter 3 that Jesus is the Son of God who builds the house, but now He is the great high priest who is over the house that He built. He is sustaining it with His prayers. The church of God has access to God the Father because Christ stands in the gap for us and He never leaves. All who turn from sin and trust in Christ and what He's accomplished become a part of the house of God and have access to the presence of God. Jesus has been gloriously raised up as our high priest, our mediator and our representative in the heavens. And notice that His flesh is in a sense the veil. The veil that used to stand between man and God has been torn in two and now Jesus' flesh is there. And He's a new kind of veil. He's not a veil that separates us from God. He doesn't stand between us and God in order to separate us. Rather, He stands between us and God to bring us together. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we have confident access to the Father. But I wonder this morning what use we are making of the access that Christ has secured. You know, I enjoy performance vehicles. I don't own a performance vehicle, but I appreciate them. I like Corvettes and Porsches and Ferraris and Camaros. I like cars with a lot of engine under the hood. I drive around a, a Mazda 3. It's got a little 5-speed 2.3 liter, and I get every ounce of horsepower out of every gear on the way from 1 to 5 that I can sometimes because you should use the machinery that God has blessed you with, right? Well, I 
having said that in the way of backdrop, I've got to confess to you that, that there have been a few times recently that I've gotten behind. I got behind a Mustang Shelby. Man, that thing, you could just hear it. Just boom, 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 boom. It was amazing. And I got behind this car, and I was like, man, we're ready to go. I'm going to, in my little Mazda, I'm going to see if I can keep up with this car just as long as I can. Because you don't have a Mustang Shelby that's decked out without wanting to use it, right? Well, in this case, he pulled out slower than a school bus on a Friday afternoon before Corona hit. It was ridiculous. Why, why would you have a car with all that engine and all that power and all that great sound? Why would you have all of that and then not use it? It's foolishness. Why would you buy a car that has that kind of power and not let the big dog eat? And I think, I think our Christian life is like that sometimes. Jesus has given us bold, unfettered, open access to the Father, but when do we pray? How often do we think about the joy of knowing and communing with God? How often do we ask Him to use us mightily in His kingdom? How often do we ask Him for His power to love as Christ loved? How often do we ask Him for His generosity so that we would give as God gives? How often do we ask Him for the eyes of Christ so that we could see our community as Christ sees our community? How often do we beg of Him that He would empower us and enable us to serve as Christ served? Not so that we could get in good with God, but because we already have His favor. The actions of the Christian life don't come by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and willing ourselves to do good. The actions of the Christian life come from communion with God our Father. If we have confidence to enter God's presence through Jesus' sacrifice, then we should confidently enter His presence. We must draw near. And we must keep drawing near with confidence in the finished work of Christ. Jesus did not die to give you access to the Father or to the presence of the Father just on one occasion. It says here, the word draw near is in the present tense. We draw near and keep on drawing near. Jesus came and gave His life so that we could keep on drawing near to the Father. This word is the perhaps one of the favorite words of the author of Hebrews. The word draw near means to enter or to come into the presence of another. Back in chapter 4, he writes, Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. In chapter 7, verse 25, he reminds us that Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. And in chapter 12, as we'll see in several weeks from now, he says that God's people have not drawn near, like in the old covenant, to Mount Sinai, the physical mountain. Rather, they have drawn near to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Through Jesus, we get to dwell where God dwells. Those whose sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus are continually welcomed to the forever presence of God. And notice therefore how we draw near. We draw near in full 
assurance of faith. And notice also that it's let us draw near. It's not let you draw near over there and you draw near over there. There is a church-wide aspect to this drawing near. Let us come together. Let us stay together. Let us be united in the confession of our faith and in the deeds of our faith. And let us together continue to draw near to God through the blood of Jesus in full assurance of faith. Not in the quality of our faith. We don't trust in the quality of our faith or in the persuasiveness of our prayers or the depth of our emotion. We draw near with full assurance, in full assurance of faith. We don't come near based on our worthiness. Schreiner says this, if readers considered their own worthiness to enter God's presence, they would rightly be filled with fear. But fear has no place, for they've been sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ. To come in full assurance means to come boldly and joyfully because of what Jesus has done for us. Look at verse 22. He has sprinkled us and He has washed us. To be sprinkled and to be washed here, these words are in the perfect tense. It means completed action with enduring results. It's kind of like getting married. Once you get married, you're married. You don't have to go to your wedding day every day in order to be married. You go and you get married, and the next day you're still married, and the next day you're still married. So it is with the perfect tense in Scripture. We have been washed. We have been cleansed through Jesus. It's a once-for-all act with an enduring effect. In other words, if you've really been sprinkled by Jesus, you can't be unsprinkled. If you've really been washed by Jesus, you cannot be unwashed. While there are strong warnings in Hebrews about abandoning our faith, the purpose of the warnings is not to unsettle us that we could lose our salvation. Rather, it is to drive us to the source of our confidence, which is Christ crucified. We have faith not in ourselves, but in Christ. The reason for the warnings is so that we would walk in the full assurance of faith. In the founding of the Old Covenant, the people were sprinkled with blood on the outside. But the bloody sacrifice of Jesus is what can cleanse you of an evil conscience. Jesus has also washed our bodies with the pure water of Himself. Bodies here represents the totality of who we are. It stands for the whole person who stands before God because of the cleansing work accomplished in the cross. Jesus cleanses our hearts and He cleanses the whole person that was impacted by sin. And He takes it and He washes it and He makes it clean. This is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says we are new creatures in Christ. The ritual washings of the Old Testament that were required for ceremonial cleanliness did not remove sin as a barrier to ongoing access to God. But through Jesus, the pure water, we are totally washed and we are totally made new in Him. Jesus fulfills the promise of the Lord recorded back in Ezekiel chapter 36. Listen to what the Lord says. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be 
clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The heart that could not feel, that could not sense, that could not know the presence of God. God would replace it with a heart that was open and receptive to the things of God. Jesus died and rose again to make a totally new you. To give you real and reliable and bold and confident access to the presence of God. So this morning, I want to encourage you, North Roanoke and those who are tuning in for the first time or the first time in a long time, if you have been washed by the blood of Jesus, this morning is a morning to bring your praise into the presence of the Father. This morning is a day to bring your adoration. It's a day to bring your thanksgiving. It's a day to bring your sins and your cares and your burdens and your despair and your questions and your fears and your hurts and your broken dreams, bring whatever it is and bring it boldly to the Father who loves you and He has loved you supremely in His Son and bring it in full dependence upon Christ your Savior. And as you do, know the joy of being healed and encouraged and sanctified and strengthened in the presence of God your Father. But Pastor... You don't know where I've been. Pastor, you don't know what I've done or what I've seen or what I've experienced. You don't know the thoughts that I've had, the ways that I've hurt my wife or my family. And you're right, I do not know those things. But one thing I do know, if you've really turned from your sin, if you've really trusted Christ, then the sin that has you right now is a sin that you're not loving. It's a sin that you're hating. And the sin can't do for you what God can. And today is a day to turn back to the Father because only the Father can heal the hurt. Only the Father can answer the anxiety. Only God can strangle the stronghold that is robbing you of true life that is found in the presence of God and in the presence of God alone. And if you will come humbly in full dependence upon Christ who was broken for you, you can know the healing presence of God in your life. You say, I'm too far gone. I'm too far deep. I'm too stuck. Listen to what Lamentations chapter 3, 22 and 23 says. The Lord's mercies never cease. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Because God has kept His promise to you in Christ. You can boldly cry out to God in prayer today. Knowing that in the middle of a pandemic, knowing that in the middle of a life that sometimes does not make sense, God hears your prayer. And He will answer the prayer of any Christian who seeks to draw near through the blood of Jesus. You say, well, I'm not a Christian. I, I, I've heard this message this morning and I, I've never turned from my sin. I've never trusted in Christ alone. I've been trusting in myself and I'm tired of trying to commune with God, to know God, to know the love of God in my own strength, in my own power, in my own ability. So what do I do? Just acknowledge that you're a sinner. Cry out to God from right where you are and say, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. 
God, I'm, I'm broken and undone, and I want to know the joy of experiencing and knowing Your presence. Jesus, thank You for dying for me. Thank You for being raised for me. From this point forward, I want to live for You and commune with God. Holy Spirit, help me to be the man or the woman or the child that You want me to be. If that's your prayer this morning, we'd encourage you to get onto that app or the website, fill out that welcome card, and let us know what God is doing in your life. This morning, if you're far from God, or if you're returning to God, it's time to run away from your sin and to run back into the arms of a Savior who loves you and will wash you clean through the blood of Jesus. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, God, that we have bold and confident access to the Father. God, that you've welcomed us with open arms. We, we don't have to run through a series of rules and regulations. There's, there's nothing more for us to do other than to give up on what we can do. God, help us, your church, to be people who are walking in full assurance of faith as we draw near with confidence into the presence of God our Father, not through what we've done, but through the finished work of Christ. This morning, God, we want to give you praise. This morning, God, if there's, if there's someone who needs uh, to, to have that full assurance of faith, God, give them the courage to reach out today so that we can tell them more about the life that you give. We ask it in Jesus' name as we sing out to you. Amen.